This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The world doesn't need another sports show. It needs an awesome sports show. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. The boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning. Welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. Joining me as usual, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Good morning, Naz. How are you? Good, Wally. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much. Also joining us uh, on the show, a regular, uh, former Toronto Maple Leaf, former Washington Capitol, and a few other pit stops, leaping Lou Franceschetti. Lou, how are you this morning? Good morning, Wally. Good morning, Naz. Uh, uh, Alabama, a little uh, little tough game for them last night, guys. What happened? Six rushing yards? Did, I, that did, I, read, did I read that correctly? They're played in the... In the in the pit down in at LSU down in Louisiana, but six rushing yards for an Alabama football team. What happened, guys? I'm not answering that, <laughs> Lou. Nez is deferring to you, Lou. Well, you know what? I'm going to tell guys like yourself and everybody that's listening out there: when you got a target on your back every single game, you better come up and play with your A game because the standard brand of college football is always to beat Alabama. It doesn't uh, matter what other game that they play all year. It's just yeah. like the olden times when uh, the L.A. Lakers or the Montreal Canadiens or the top teams in, in professional sports, yeah. everybody's out to beat Alabama. And anytime you, you can come close or beat them, that is your victory for the whole year, maybe even for 10 years, because some of these teams don't even get close to that team. But I'll take Take it for whatever it's worth. I think LSU came up with a great game plan yesterday. Uh, but at the end of the day, Alabama came up with a win. Now That's they've true. just got to get ready because they know that their next match is probably going to be against Auburn. And then maybe if they get by Auburn, they're going to get by. Their their matchup of the year is going to be against Georgia in the Southeast uh, yes. SEC Championship. I, I think you've analyzed it uh, perfectly, uh, Lou. Um, everybody's up for the Alabama game. They are the standard in college football and have been, I guess, for 15, 20 years. So everybody gets up for that game. And as you say, they came out with the W. And at the end of the day, that's what counts. They look like they're headed to a massive, massive showdown with Georgia. Uh, in fact, they, that may end up being uh, uh, a preliminary in the SEC to uh, to a potential matchup in the national championship game. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised uh, Georgia and Alabama, they're going to line up once for sure and possibly twice. Let our listeners know where we're going with the show today. We, uh, we've got coming up, uh, it should be a fascinating interview with Dan Quinn. You may remember Dan uh, from the 1980s, 90s, first-round draft choice of the Calgary Flames, uh, played a significant amount of his career with the Pittsburgh Penguins, with Mario, and, uh, and uh, the part of his career, I should say, his career careers, the part of his career that I'm most fascinating in was his golf career after he uh, finished playing hockey, won some celebrity golf tournaments, ended up being a caddy on the professional, on the PGA Tour with, uh, with John Daly and uh, Ernie Els. I'm fascinated to talk about that part 
uh, that career that Dan Quinn had and uh, certainly get an opportunity to talk about his hockey career. Guys, uh, a couple of weeks ago we were in the we we're in the dumps. Uh, Joe Bowen told us let's let's hang in there. You know, things may look bleak for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Certainly the last week things are looking a lot better. We're on a little bit of a roll here, Naz. I think we're now five straight wins and uh, some key wins this week. They look much better. Uh, great, great win against the Vegas Knights for Zip on uh, Tuesday, I believe. Then a remarkable comeback uh, Thursday night against Tampa, uh, uh, winning in overtime. Uh, uh, William Nylander and a pretty good, uh, pretty good result against uh, the hated Boston Bruins last night. Naz, we had that, we had that lead that against Boston that always scares me. It caused, caused me some consternation in the past. The four to one lead, they made it four two, but the the Leafs hung in. Naz, uh, your uh, your thoughts on the Leafs' week and uh, how do we look? Wally, I think the Leafs took their best. They played their best two games in two years against Tampa Bay and Boston. They were phenomenal, both ends of the ice. Great goaltending. I'm impressed. They they came back real well, real strong. Uh, certainly, when you got a goalie that uh, I guess the cliche Lou is when the goalie stands on his head, it makes everybody else look better. Uh, Campbell had to save that game for him against Tampa on uh, on Thursday night. He, he, you know, Leafs were pressing; they were, you know, they were up the ice and giving up some opportunities. And Campbell held held the fort, and then uh, they uh, Tavares, I believe, scored the the tying goal on a pass from Marner. And then uh, Nylander fired one in the overtime. Important victory. Um, last night's game was played at play. I call it playoff intensity. Um, it was a fun game to watch from beginning to end. Um, you know, these two teams don't like each other. The Leafs haven't had great results against the Bruins in the last uh, last few years. Um, it was uh, it was an interesting, intense game to watch. Lou, um, your reaction on the Leafs' week? Well, it really was, and uh, again, we're going to go back to what Joe Bowen said. It is a regular season. Uh, this team is more or less, uh, it's all about the playoffs. It's not about the 82-game schedule, but you got to give them credit because they came up big when they had to. They took advantage of a of a headman uh, dumb, dumb mistake with a little flip up the middle, and they scored the goal, uh, the tying goal in the last minute. Uh, obviously, they came up and they played really well. They took advantage of the uh, uh, the players that weren't in the Vegas lineup, and they and they won that game pretty handily. And last night, uh, they beat a tough Boston team in their building, knowing that it was more or less to try to send a message to the Bruins: guys, we're we're here, uh, and we're not going to be uh, overlooked. So get used to this. And uh, they came up with another big win last night, and they're they're only going to go as far as their goaltending takes them. Mind you, every team's going to go that that way uh but at the end of the day it it is uh it is just one out of 82 games uh show me what you're going to do in the playoffs and then uh we can we can move on i know that the show me what you're going to do in the playoffs but you got to make the playoffs and uh right now the Leafs are in the i think they're in the two hole in the atlantic division they're only behind florida but there's a lot of teams in the mix and it's early i get it uh, you know, we get Harry Neal on the show from time to time, and Harry, you know, Harry will always say, if you're going to win, your best players have to be your best players. And in the last five games, their best players have been their best players. I believe, Nas, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the last 14 goals that the Leafs have scored 
have been their core four. Marner, four points last night. He was under an incredible amount of criticism first couple of weeks in the season. Four points. Tavares and Matthews. I know you posted uh, you posted uh, an Austin Matthews tribute. Uh, the core four, much maligned in the beginning of the season. Joe Bowen calmed us down, said, relax, guys. Let's, let's look at this 20-25 games in. And uh, they certainly, the top four, certainly have brought it this week. Uh, Naz, I believe they've got four. They've got all, all fourteen of the last fourteen, lastly fourteen goals. Yeah, absolutely incredible. They're playing really well, and Boston's goaltending. Oh my God, they're in trouble. They better get a goalie soon because they they, they don't have a goalie there. Well, we don't want them to get a goalie, do we? No, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm not going to fault. Uh, I'm not going to fault the Boston goalie for the for the loss last night. The, the Leafs got themselves in a hole early, down one. They seem so far this season seem to always give up the first goal in the game. But they, they you know, they they they, uh, they you know they put their <laughs> put their foot down, came back and. Uh, Cashed in some opportunities, some crazy events in the first period with the with the Nets coming off the pipes. Uh, didn't realize there was an NHL rule, Lou, that says if 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 the if the if the net comes off and and and, and that one was really off and and it comes off and, and the puck goes in, it's a goal. And in that one, uh, I guess the rule is if the if the player defending player knocks the net off, then it's keep playing. If the puck goes in, it's a goal. Luke, um, I, I I didn't know that that was a rule either. Uh, it looked uh, it really obvious that the net was knocked off. I didn't know that. Uh, I think Bergeron knocked it off at the time. And uh, again, there's a lot of rules that we don't follow in the National Hockey League. So that's just one of them that uh, more or less just opened up our eyes last night. Yeah, I thought that that one and the one with Jake Muzzin on the other end were sort of controversial because I don't believe it was actually Bergeron that knocked the net off. It was Bergeron knocking Tavares into the net to knock it off. Uh, I mean, that's the way I saw it. And on the other side, Muzzin got all upset because he knocked, he knocked the Boston player into the net, knocked the net over, and got a penalty, and then the Bruins scored on, on that penalty. So it was an interesting game. Uh, at the end of the day, we got the W. Uh, so uh, things are looking better. We get the Kings this week. We get the Flyers, and we get the Flames, who are a hot team right now. Hopefully the Leafs can keep it going. It's uh, 9.15. We're going to go to break, and we'll be right back with Dan Quinn. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville declared... We'll never be the fastest. We'll never be the cheapest. We'll never be the snazziest dressed. What? Yeah, my point is, we want to be the best. At Pizzaville, we want to make the best pizza. Stone-baked, the traditional Italian way. Pizzaville stone-baked pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. You won't remember that Real Space Media was once Real Tours Media. What you'll never forget is how they helped you, the real estate agent, sell homes. Or you, the business owner, show off your four walls. Real Space Media has made a name for itself, creating virtual tours and walkthrough floor plans using 3D technology that's light years ahead. In the age of COVID, what better way to see a space safely than through the digital lens of, what were they called again? Realspacemedia.ca. Got a space to showcase? Check out Real Space. 
This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. Here's to every boy who thought his Bobby Orr rookie card sounded great in the spokes of his bicycle. He has only served to make yours in mint condition more valuable. And now it's payday. Mint Inc. Trading Cards and Sports Merchandise wants to buy your vintage collection of hockey, baseball, basketball, football, and soccer heroes. Now's the time to cash in while the hobby reaches new heights. If you got them, we need them. Mint Inc. Trading Cards and Sports Merchandise. Visit our store online at mintink.ca. There are two ways to argue sports with these guys, and none of them work. The boys are back, the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live on EM740 in Toronto, 96.7 FM, and live streaming on the internet, www.zoomerradio.ca. We're pleased to welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, Dan Quinn. Dan, good morning. How are you this morning? Morning, guys. How are you? We're uh, we're thrilled to have you, Dan. Um, um, I'm fascinated by uh, uh, your. I, I was about to say your career, but I would I would rephrase that to careers. Obviously, you had a, a great career as a hockey player, first round draft choice in the Ontario Hockey League. I'm personally fascinated more by your career as a as a celebrity golfer, five time winner of that uh, tournament down in Lake Tahoe, professional tour caddy for uh, Ernie Els and John Daly, I believe, and others. Uh, let's uh, let's give uh, let's give it a shot. Let's see how much of this we can cover this morning, Dan. Fire away! I'm uh, happy to be on. Nice to talk oh. to you guys up in Canada. Uh, pleased uh, pleased to have you on, Dan. I, I know I uh, texted you yesterday and told you that Lou Franceschetti is a regular on our show. He'd be with you. He's a contemporary of yours in the '80s with the with the Washington Capitals. And uh, after talking to Lou yesterday, I want you guys to uh, to. Uh, let me know. I think the biggest question we want to ask you guys, just to have some fun when we start this off, Lou says he had better hair than you. Uh, Dan, <laughs> your, your thoughts on that? Well, I, you know, we uh, played in that era with the, the mullets, and there was times when I had a good head. But I, I'm pretty sure, you know, Lou would be an Italian. He probably worked at it a lot harder than I did. <laughs> good. Lou, I got to get that's a good comeback, Dan. Lou, uh, Lou I got I to gotta, I gotta let you give, uh, give your response. Uh, yeah, you're probably right, Dan, but mine's all gone right now. Oh, you, you still probably have your flowing blonde hair and, and your curliness there, uh, and especially being down in Florida and uh, playing in that uh, celebrity tour out in, uh, in Tahoe. You must have had a great time with all the boys. Because I, mean, I, I played in golf tournaments where uh, I've run into some of the older uh, gentlemen in, in all sports, in basketball and football, and they're unbelievable uh, personalities out there. How do you? How did you mix with uh, with all those guys like Mark Rippon? Uh, I can't even remember the the names of the guys that you played with in that the celebrity tour out in Tahoe. Yeah, so well, I got invited. My first time we went out. Uh, actually, Mary Lemieux and I went out in '91. They had their first inaugural one in 1990, um, and we saw it on TV. And we're like, man, I got to try to get in that. And and the early on, so you know, a couple of comments to your question. Um, you know, the early days, there was uh, a lot more like 
Dale Talon and, and uh, Clark Gillies, Brett Hall, Tom Barrasso. You know, they had about a dozen, 15 hockey players. I think they're down to just four or five Americans now. They don't, they don't have any Canadians playing it. But over the 23 years, um, again, from, from 91, you know, having met, uh, you know, first time out there, you had Johnny, you know, the big red machine, Johnny Bench was there, and Joe Morgan, and uh, I remember meeting Steve Spurrier was kind of cool, and, and then uh, obviously some of the uh, Michael Jordans and Charles Barkley's, and, and, you know, my favorite guys ended up being a lot of the quarterbacks, John Elway and Dan Marino and um, Mark Rippon, as you mentioned. So it was, and it, and it evolved, luckily, like I said, I played till t- 2014, um, and then, you know, I you know, got paired with Tony Romo's and, and you meet you know, Steph Curry was there and, and some of the Aaron Rodgers. So the modern guys, uh, you know, kind of went through a, a nice little 20, you know, quarter century, really, of being able to meet a lot of these guys. And uh, it, it was, uh, you know, it was always cool. We always, guys always end up hanging in the same sports or the hockey players and hang out with the hockey players and, and whatnot. But we mingled and some of them I'm still friendly with. So it was pretty cool. Uh, we're talking to Dan Quinn. Dan, I'm going to turn it over to my co-host, Naz Marchese. Dan, just so you're aware, we're all doing this show remotely. We haven't been in studio for uh, a year and a half, thanks to the pandemic. So uh, I'll turn it over to Naz. Go ahead, Naz. Dan, which sport do you like play, playing more, hockey or golf? Um, that's, you know, it's a good question. I mean, uh, I was early on, you know, I, I fell in love with golf uh, in London, Ontario. We moved there when I was 12, and there was a executive course i guess you would say and and an 18 whole course called thames valley right in uh, right in london ontario that i fell in love with it in the summers and, and then hockey was um you know my my quickest way to get out of the house and try to make a living so you know you had to have equal passion for it um you know to say which one i love more one was a job became a job but you know i loved i loved a lot of the hockey i loved a lot of it i didn't but a lot of it you know the a lot of the traveling you know getting uprooted to, to a couple teams where you know some places were better than others but um, and, and golf, you know, to be clear, I never was, I never did make PGA Tour. I, I was, you know, a decent player, and you know, for an athlete that could play in some of these tournaments, I, I had had some some uh, attempts at playing on t- tour school, and I went to, um, I lost in a playoff actually in 1999, I believe, to play in Doral, the a PGA Tour event. I got a letter from the tour saying I would have been one of the first current or you know active athletes to have actually qualified for a tour event without getting a sponsor's exemption. But that's about it. Um, I still love golf now, and I love it through the scene. You know, through this, my you know, I have a 15 year old boy that's pretty good, and so I've really enjoyed the last three or four years watching him evolve and, and take you know showing the passion to you know to work at it, work out in the gym, and um, so it's it's and I you know obviously I live in Florida, I've been out for 20 some years, so it's it's become a big you know, just part of our life. So it's, it's 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 a lot of fun, but you know again, hockey was a great sport. It was some of the best people I ever met in my life. I'm sure Luke can attest to. Were still people that I played with back in the 80s and 90s. You know, albeit it was a barbaric era. You know, from the from the way the game was played. But and then watching the game now, I watched two. You know, the Carolina and Florida played last night down here. It's a pretty good game with uh, two nine nine and O teams. Um, the game's in a great spot right now. Uh, Dan, uh, I notice you use. Uh, I mean, I listen to some of the other podcasts you've been on, and you you refer to the 1980s as the barbaric era in hockey. Uh, I know hockey's changed uh, from from why uh, why do you use that particular adjective? You know, I use it. I, I don't know how else to explain it. But when you have, you know, when I first started in you know, OHL, and then my first couple years in the NHL. Um, I, I'd said on one of my podcasts, you know, I started in Calgary, the Battle of Alberta. Well, in the Battle of Alberta back then in the 83, 84, 85, we would have two exhibition games with each other, eight regular season games with each other, and two of my first three years we had two seven-game series in the playoffs. So as Luke can attest to, in those games, one or two of those games is going to get to be 7-1, 7-2, 7-3, 7-4, 7-5, 7-6, 7-7, 7-8, 7-9, 7-10, 7-11, 7-12, 7-13, 7-14, 7-15
in the second period, and that's when it got you know pretty crazy. When I use the word barbaric, also we had five on fives, we had bench clearing brawls. You know, you had a lot of stuff that was um, kind of evolved in those areas, and, and there were some great. I mean, I always say some phenomenal hockey players that were great fighters, and the McSorties and the Bob Proberts and Dave Semenko's. Uh, which I tip my hat to, but that's that's basically where I, you know. But there was you know guys that I made sure I, I had the ten foot rule. <laughs> ben Wilson and Dave Manson. I was like, here I'll just change quick and dump it in. <laughs> no, no kidding, Dan. I, I've got to. I've got to. Before I turn it over, Lou, do you ever remember any encounters? Uh, any encounters with uh, with Mister Franceschetti? Uh, no, you know what? It's uh, you know Dan brings up a lot of points regarding the. Uh, uh, the divisions back then, because we had the same problems with, with Philadelphia where uh, you might have two or three skilled players in the exhibition and all the rest of the guys were all uh, tough guys that you drafted, if you want to so-called so-call them goons. Uh, and there was a lot of bench-clearing brawls probably in, in the Battle of Alberta and also with us playing the, uh, the Philadelphia Friars. But uh, I just remember uh, Danny as a very, very skilled uh, uh, centerman with the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, we didn't play Calgary that often uh, in that era, but when he got traded over to uh, to Pittsburgh, I more or less remember him. And you know, there were game plans that we had to stop him and and Mario more Mario than than Danny. But uh, it, it was an unbelievable era f- for us because I like to think that that's the way the game should be played, even though it's as highly skilled as it is now. Uh, I just want to ask Danny, how was it playing with Mario? Because I've met Mario through a couple of golf tournaments in Long Island. And how was your your time there in Pittsburgh, knowing that that Mario and and your crew there were, uh, it, it was all about Mario and everybody else. Yeah, no, but it was it, we had, uh, you know, my uh, it was one of my biggest regrets was having been traded from Pittsburgh. I loved playing there. I called us I called the city home when I got traded there, and you know, fall of '86 uh, for 15 years I kept the house there, even even after I got traded away. Um, and then to your point, I mean, uh, you know, I traded from the Dettles, the old Schmidt division, I think, then what we were in Pittsburgh and you were in Washington was the old Patrick division was a lot of, you had a lot of great players too with, uh, you know, Scotty Stevens, Hatcher, and, you know, I can remember all, uh, Ben, is it Ben Gustafson? I can remember a lot of the, uh, Mike Gartner. So it was really good hockey. And, and, uh, to your point, you know, that, that was a great division as well. Um, as far as Mario, Mario was, you know, I got there in 86 and 87, you know, didn't make the playoffs. Um, didn't have, you know, it, it really changed when he went to the War, uh, Canada Cup. I always, I've always said that in the in the fall of '87, he got to play with Messi and Gretzky and, and Paul Coffey and, and all of those guys, and he came back um, to, to training camp uh, where and just was flying. And you know, he just, he, I think it really uh, catapulted his career to not only wanting to know how good he was fitting in with those that that great group of players, but uh, you know, but he got the taste of winning, and I think that's when. Uh, he really, really, his, his career really took off. And then, you know, there, there was a lot of things that said about, you know, there was a big trade that they made for Ronnie Francis and Samuelson, but they grew internally. You know, Mark Recchi and Kevin Stevens, you know, Zardy Zalapski. We had a lot of really good players that came through the Eddie Johnson uh, drafts, you know, and back then. And, and then, obviously, you know, Paul Coffey getting traded there, Tom Barrasso. You know, there was a really solid group of players. Um, unfortunately, I was traded away in 90, but and then they won their cups, uh, you know, a couple of years later. But, um, I think, you know, Lou, if you, I always say this, Wayne, I got three guys. I always say Wayne Gretzky, Bobby Orr, and Meredith Mead. You can throw three in a hat. There's the three best players, I think. And I'll always say that physically, though, I don't know that I've ever seen a better hockey player than Meredith. Just being 6'5", and, you know, 225, 230, fast. I mean, faster than you can ever imagine. Great hands, could stick handle. 
I mean, you know, you saw McDavid go last night. Mario would have had five hooks on him. But that goal that he scored, that highlight goal yeah. McDavid got, he would have been chopped and slashed and hooked, you know, back in our days. So not 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 belittling how great a goal it was for McDavid, but I think you remember <laughs> we got a we got a lot a lot more uh, use of our sticks back then. <laughs> Ned, you're absolutely right in the sense that I thought Mario, and I still think Mario is the most talented hockey player that ever that has ever played this game. And that 87 series, when he came back, you could see that he was a different guy because he got to play with players that knew what the commitment was to be an excellent. And, and when you play with Mark and you play with Wayne and, and Coffee and, and being coached by Keenan, who, who was a coach that was driven at that time, uh, you could just see a different hockey player coming back, and uh, he pretty well carried your franchise there for a couple of years. I know you guys always ended up near the bottom, but uh, uh, when they made that big trade with uh, with Ronnie Francis and also drafting Yager uh, in 1990, pretty, pretty much turned that whole franchise around. Naz, I'll turn it over to you. Tell us your experience caddying for Ernie Els, Dan. Sure, yeah, we... Um Long story, Ernie moved here in, in 2008, um, and I say here, Jupiter, the Jupiter-Palm Beach area, west, just north of West Palm Beach, um, which is now home to, from, yes, we just bought a house here, so from Michael Jordan, Dustin Johnson, at, at all over the last 13, 14 years, these Rory McIlroy, Brooks Kepka, they all live in this area. Um, but Ernie was one of the first tour pros to move here uh, based on his son being autistic, and he was his home was in the U.K. So long story short, um, you know, I helped, sort of get a residence for him for a you know for a time being during the honda classic in 08 and he ended up winning that led to a you know sort of a friendship and uh the role that i had for a company called well the golf course called the ritz carlton you know in the sub subprime crash of 08 09 was eliminated in, in january of 09 and some somewhere in that summertime he asked me to say hey, you want to go to asia and, and caddy because uh, i you know i'd done some caddying for daily and, and jesper parnovic in the past as you as you were you alluded to and we ended up going to Singapore, <laughs> and uh, you know I was nervous. I'd never been, I'd never been to Asia, and you know those kind of places. But uh, we finished, I think, twelfth, and then we finished second the week after in a World Golf Championship event, losing to Phil Mickelson by one shot. And then we had a Christmas break, and I got a call over Christmas, "Hey, you want to do that again?" And I said, "Sure." You know, I made seventy-two thousand in those two weeks. I said, "I'll do." <laughs> Where, where's the bag? I got, you know, I'm going to meet you in San Diego, and that's. Or we actually started in Hawaii that year. 2010 so that's how it started and it, you know it's like everything you know ups and downs and it, and it was something that i you know i really prided myself on not just being a friend out there caddying um i, I knew the game of golf and i studied it and tried to really you know to be, do a good job professionally as a caddy i treated it as such um and it was a good little good little gig for a couple of years as well as having you know i still played in lake tahoe then so it gave me plenty of time you know i'd only worked seven, 16 17 weeks um for him and then i'd have you know the rest of it to to play golf and, and prepare for Tahoe. Uh, Dan, uh, I'm I'm actually the golf junkie on the show, so I, I could I could spend the next three hours just talking golf with you. Uh, and no you've problem. got so fascinating careers in a little different ways. But uh, when I get back to, to to the golf part of it, and well, you know, sort of go back and forth between the golf and the hockey. Um, you uh, you got the opportunity to uh, uh, caddy for Ernie, and uh, you, you mentioned Jesper Parnovic actually played behind him at, at, on a golf course in South Florida. He was he was having fun with Hank Keeney and a whole bunch of other guys. Um, but uh, the caddying part of it, we, we've interviewed uh, we've interviewed professional golfers on our show before, but we've never interviewed a caddy. And I've always always been fascinated growing up uh, growing up being a caddy in my youth. Um, 
how much difference does a caddy make to a golfer's performance? Can a caddy actually win a tournament for a golfer or lose a tournament for a golfer? Well, you know, I'll always I always say this uh, when somebody asks me that. The best way to be a good caddy is to have a good player. That's number one. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but, you know, the, the really the most the most good players, uh, it, the, the, the profession of caddying is, has evolved with the, you know, Tiger Woods coming in and now the purses are so much more. I think if you look at the guys that are caddying, they're, they're a fit. Um, they're, they're actually could be ex players because, you know, there's good, it's good money. If you get a good bag, a top 50 player in the world, it's, you know, you're going to work 25, 30 weeks a year. You're going to have another 20 off, but you get, it's good money. If you get a, and it's a, it's a, you know, you're outside and you're kind of just, just the one boss. Uh, to your point or your question, absolutely, a, a caddy is crucial. Um, you know, you, you've got to be kind of one step ahead. You, you try to do a lot of the preparation that the player, the player's getting his body ready and worrying about swing. So you try to have as much knowledge from. Like I, I tell people when I caddied at Augusta in 2010, I'd gone out and checked where all the tees were on the par threes, so that when we got to the par threes, I knew exactly what the yardage was to the hole, so that you know I didn't have to. He didn't have to waste time and get any you know tension or nervousness standing on that 12th tee at Augusta. I already had the yardage. I already knew exactly what it was, the wind direction, so that you know I could give him the give him the information, and he could pull his club and, and hit it without standing around. So, stuff like that. Um, and there's a lot of great caddies out there. And you got to be good company. There's just, there's a ton of conversation that you you, know, you can't go quiet. You can't just walk around out there. You got to have a lot of stuff that you know that they're they're interested in and get their minds off of what they're doing. On top of giving information, and sometimes you got to give them a you know a little gentle tap on the back, and sometimes you got to get hey let's get going type stuff. So it's uh it's a fine line because you know at the end of every round you know, it could be your last round. There's no real contracts. <laughs> it's uh and, and and so you have to you have to try to do a good job, not be not be a yes man. Um, you have to give you know again provide information, which is. It's kind of evolving. I see they're taking away the green books, which I really commend them for. You know, took that art away of, of knowing how to read a green. Um, it had gotten so these green books were like, I mean, encyclopedias of information. It was unbelievable that how, how much information's in these these yardage books that the tour pros get. So, but you know, again, I come back to my comment that you know, a good player uh, and a good caddy is is much better than you know, if one of them's not as up to par. You know, you, you need a good caddy if you're going to be a good player on tour. Yeah, we're talking to Dan Quinn. By the way, guys, I've just been advised by uh, by our producer that, uh, in his opinion, Al Ifrey had the best hair in the NHL when you guys are playing. So uh, he he had certainly had a a, 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 a a long mullet, if I recall. So I Al, Al Ifrey, guys, I think had the best hair in the NHL. Lou, I'll turn it over to you. Uh, Dan, I, I I know I don't know what the job of a a, uh, a caddy is, but do do most caddies are are they pretty good golfers? And uh, you know how sometimes uh, our equipment is the most important stuff of, towards our sport. What is a caddy's life from Monday or from Saturday or Sunday, when, whenever you guys finish, till the Wednesday? Uh, who takes care of the clubs? What do you do with the clubs? And obviously, you have played Augusta. Give me your experience of, of playing that golf course. If caddies are allowed to play it uh, when you're there, no, we could, we're we're not. You, you got so I'll come back. To, I'll work backwards. Augusta, you know, you have to still go with a member, and the week of and the week before is um, very very strict as to who gets. Not even all the members are allowed to play it. So, um, but I did. We went up there, and you know, we I went up there two weeks before the Masters in t- 2010 with Ernie, 
and Charles Schwartzel, and we flew up just for the day. So that was my – and I, I'd been to Augusta. One of the first things I did when I retired from hockey was I'd go there during the Masters in 98, 99, like for four or five years on a Wednesday, just because it's a pure – you know, as a sporting, as a fan. Um, but then that – so this particular year, we went up and played the golf course prior, had the yards book. So to say that, you know, by the time we got there Monday afternoon of the tournament week, because uh, we'd played in Houston the week before um, – we were. I was very, very. We were ready, and uh, I couldn't wait to pull that first yardage on Thursday. Because to your to your question, Tuesdays, Wednesdays are long, long days for caddies. Uh, players are out the range. They got their strength coach. They could have. You know, it just it's a lot of time to you know sort of wait to get you know get for the real the real stuff to happen on the Thursday morning. Uh, generally, Joe. So to, on, as far as equipment, it depends. You know, I was lucky with Ernie. He flew privately, so the clubs were always either on the plane or you know back here at his house. Um, when we were on the road, I would take, you know, if I had a rent a car and I was staying somewhere separately, and yeah, I would always have the clubs, or you leave them in storage at the golf course if you trusted the place. Um, and you have, you know, uh, <laughs> funny thing about a guy like Ernie, he used to he gets the long putter there in the second or third year that I was caddying for him. So he'd have some of those, sometimes three or four of those big long putters in there. So on Tuesday, my bag weighed a lot of, <laughs> way too much, I got to tell you. Uh, but that's that's sort of the, the nuts and bolts of it. Um, Every player is different, and every caddy does as much as you know the player wants them to do. Yes. Who are some of the better golfers, uh, hockey players, as golfers? Well, for me, I, I always, you know, Tahoe was won by. There's only been two hockey players won it. I got it five times, luckily, and, and Mario won it once. But I've always uh, there was a Norm McIver I played with in the early '90s, and I thought he was a heck of a player. Um, he had a beautiful golf swing. I don't know if he ever worked at it, but. Uh, I've heard that Ray Whitney's really good. Um, you know, there's a bunch of them. You know, Gretz tells me there's a bunch of them live up in place up in Coeur d'Alene in Idaho called Dodger Ranch where they play. So, um, I, again, I'm I'm so I'm 56. I'm out of the loop. I don't know which ones of the current players are playing, and I don't know other than you know, is there a way to measure it in any case? But uh, I've al- I've always thought that everybody always said about uh, it, it. Sort of speaks to the athleticism of a hockey player in a sense. I played hockey left-handed. and I played golf right-handed. And a lot of guys do that, and and I just think that the overall ability to play hockey doesn't necessarily make you a good golfer. But if a player, if a guy does want to apply himself, you know, our bodies are pretty, you know, set up to like a tour pose. PGA Tour, uh, you know, the NHL uh, has a lot of characters, uh, two of whom are on the, on the show with us today. Tell us about some of the characters on the on the PGA Tour. I'm sure these guys got personalities. Uh, and uh, which, uh, which which guys were were the most fun to be with or uh, be part of the same group that you were in? Well, I'd have to say, uh, you know, good and bad. Uh, you know, Ernie was one of the. Uh, he could be he could be tough. Don't get me wrong, and I'm not going to say it, you know anything. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> but he could. Uh, he was one of the funner guys. That if you had a you want to play golf and then sit around and have five six beers and, and tell stories, he was one of the most engaging as far as that goes. Um, Jesper was a character, no question. Loved to throw parties and bar- barbecue. Um, you know, I've met a, I've met a lot of them on the both sides. You know, there's a lot more characters in Europe than there are. They're a little more robotic here in the U.S. I would say. Um, but you know, the luck. I, I worked in Europe for a little for about six months, which was a lot of travel. But it was a lot of characters. I must say, some some of the Scottish caddies. After two beers, I didn't understand a word of English they were saying. So they get a big sock on their tongue, and it was just forget it, thick accent. But um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, uh, John Daly was a character, you know, I'm going back to my guys, you know, that, uh, that are Timmy Heron. I don't know if you ever, Timmy, yeah, Lundy sure. Heron. Absolutely. He's, a be- he's a beauty. Uh, I, but I think they're a lot more, 
you know, I'm a big fan of the, the modern players. Like I said, I've lucky enough been around Rory since he was since '09. We were paired with him. Actually, that first trip I had to Asia, he was just a 19 year old kid. He's he's one of the classiest, nicest kids you'll ever meet in, in any sport. Justin Thomas lives around here. You know, great kids. Um, they're they're just there's you know I think DJ's a heck of a guy. I mean, people don't really know him because he's so quiet, but I've gotten to know him. Spent a little time over. When Wayne's in town, because Gretz, I don't know if Dustin, I think you know that, uh, Wally, because Gretz, Gretz just bought uh, Dustin Johnson. No, I, I wasn't aware of that. Looking forward. Hopefully I run into him sometime yeah, when I'm back down in South Florida in, in January. Dustin bought, a, yeah, Dustin bought a bigger house, and then uh, Wayne and Janet just bought uh, his. So they're, or theirs, I guess, and Paulina's. But, um, yeah, so that's sort of where, you know, what we're doing down here, and, and it's, it's just an interesting, interesting time to see the way golf's evolved and, and all of the guys that are, they're fit. They got trainers and chefs. It's just you know, Lou. Like I even heard one. I remember Mike Vernon told me that guys in the NHL teams now have two chefs in the locker room. I'm like, you know, we're running out to Hands or McDonald's after games just to try to get a bite. You know, <laughs> uh, Lou, I'll turn it over to you again. Dan, you would not believe the way these players get catered. That's why I don't have any sympathy for them at all. Like they <laughs> complain go. about playing three games in four days, and they have to charter. They get uh, their their breakfast made for them when they get to the rink. They get their lunch made for them. It is um, they have a chef there. It is unbelievable how these players get catered to now, and they still bitch and moan, if I can use that word, uh, at, at their schedule. They play four games in six days. Uh, not like us when we had to travel commercial. They travel charter. They have gourmet meals after a game. But anyways, that's besides the point. Yeah. <laughs> We put a commercial and people uh, still smoke. smoke there's smoke a big misconception on <laughs> Phil Mickelson's uh, personality. How how robotic is he, or does he actually have a good time if you've uh, run into him? Say that again. Sorry, I, I, was, I was talking. Uh, Who, Jeff? Lou, go ahead. About Phil Mickelson being a little bit robotic and having no personality at all. Is he really like that in person, or can he loosen up uh, no, when you no, get so get him one-on-one on a... On an off day, yeah. So I don't, I don't know Phil very well. Like I said, but we got paired a lot, and him, but him and Ernie are the exact same age, so they had a little bit of a rivalry. So whenever we were paired, um, it was you know quite quiet between us, <laughs> if that makes sense. But uh, from all uh, all accounts from the guys, you know, Phil is actually he's very engaging when he when he wa- needs to be and wants to be, and he's also very um, he's one of the pranksters, you know, from practice rounds and you know stuff like that. <laughs> that uh, you know, kind of evolved. He's still he's 51 now, but he still gets along with the 30 year olds. So he's really maintained uh, a presence on the, on the both tours. Now he's out on the Champions Tour as well. But um, yeah, he he was he would definitely be one that you know people love to watch. We used to say you could tell when you're at Augusta or you know, big tournaments there was two different roars. You know, there was just a, there was a roar for a birdie, and then there was a tiger or a fill roar. And it was you know by, by the sound of the gallery you could hear it. It, it was one of them had made a birdie. You could tell. Um, so he, you know, he's certainly one of the more popular players you know, in the history of golf. And I always say too, to win as many times as he's won in, in Tiger's era is, you know, it's quite remarkable. Nes, are you impressed with the Canadian, the quality of the Canadian golfer now, Dan? Yeah, you know, my, so like I said, my son's a really good player. But the the thing to me that gets overlooked, if you look back at the, you know, I've watched golf since I was 12 years old. Um, Obviously, they all hit it far, and obviously the, you know, the equipment's really good, like Lou talked about, and it's, you know, they get it all, whatever they need, it's all tweaked and it's perfect, but they just all putt well now. You know, it used to be, you know, if Tom Watson had the Ips or Bernard Langer, you know, the guys back in the, 
you know, 70s and 80s that I grew up watching, there was always somebody that couldn't play for a while because they just had putting problems. And, you, you know, they've all, they've all turned, they've got all these claw grips and the de- different equipment and these mallets and whatnot. I, I'm just, uh, even though they've taken the belly, which is all that stuff and locking, and, you know, uh, anchoring, whatever they call it, but I'm just shocked at how, I just, I mean, you just don't see any good players that don't, they're not all good putters now. It's just, it, that's what really is my, I think it's lost on, on how far they hit it. Uh, we're talking to Dan Quinn. Uh, Dan, a few more minutes. Uh, don't necessarily go away from the golf conversation because i got to tell you, I find this fascinating. I wish we had way more time with you, but uh, our time's coming up shortly. But I do want to get back to hockey for just uh, just a minute. Uh, you got the opportunity, as you say, to play to play with one of the, if one of the top three players of all time, if not the best player. I, I tend to agree with you, Dan. I think pure... Uh, Talent-wise, maybe Mario was uh, may have been the best of all time. Uh, certainly, very, very arguable. But Mario wasn't. Uh, you got you got to watch him in practice and training. He didn't have the most uh, most strict training regimen, did he? Uh, uh, it's not like oh, he would. The, go, go ahead. The, the podcast that uh, you know, I think Wally's got got the uh, thing to call me on but you know i got traded to pittsburgh and and lou will remember the, these days we're talking about commercial flights uh, but mario smoked in between periods <laughs> you know so um and then i was i was like finally and i can't i'd come from calgary so I, I like to think i sort of infused a little bit into the you know the, the turning around of the penguins from like you know they didn't wear helmets in practice they didn't wear shoulder pads in practice and you know there was just I was in quite good shape from having been in Calgary with you know Bob Johnson in '83 or '82 was the first one that you know started doing uh, physical fitness training and MBO2 and all that. It was sort of the uh, the birth of all of that stuff. Uh, and you get to Pittsburgh and I mean there was just it was mind boggling. And I was like, guys, I don't know what you guys, I, but I've just spent like two hours north of me. There was a pretty good hockey team up there, and they're not smoking in between periods, Mario. So he quit. Um, and he, he never, I told somebody, we went to run a track I think the following year, and I said, I'm going to go do a couple of miles, and you want to see, he did one lap, and that was it. Get into hockey, but just could get into hockey shape like the great ones all could. I mean, Mar- Mario and Wayne, they had lungs on them, like you can't believe it. Uh, I don't know how they did it, because Wayne wasn't really a big workout guy either, but uh, they could play 30 minutes a game back in the, you know, they didn't have their shifts time, did they? <laughs> like Lou's talking about there. <laughs> They just looked at the coach, and if the coach looked at them, they just hopped the boards in a way they, they could play as much as they want. And once they were in hockey shape, they were just unbelievable. Luke? Uh, you, you couldn't have said it any better. Uh, again, uh, when Mario first got drafted in 85, you could just see he had he had no drive whatsoever. And anytime he really wanted to turn it on, he could be the difference in, um, in the game. Uh, and obviously playing with, with Mario and, uh, and Mark and them in 87, uh, it came down to uh, the commitment to getting ready to play in a world championship. And he probably had to do that in the summer to keep up with them uh, uh, in that tournament. But it, it, it just uh, it, it was just mind-boggling on how, how much he could actually play and at the skill level that, uh, that he had uh, back then. But I want to get back to your golf. Uh, how hard do you push your son? Uh, and like, what are, what are the parameters there that uh, that you go with him if you if you uh, if you want your son to go to that next level? Uh, being a hockey player, how much do you go over and push it in the, on the golf sense? You know, I've, it's, I struggle. He's my third child, so it's I've, and the first two are daughters, so I never you know it's it's my first kind of experience of uh, these last you know five six years, and I actually spoke to him on uh, Tuesday about it. 
as I look back to when he was, you know, 11 or 12 and, you know, U.S. kids tournaments. So, and he would shoot high scores and, you know, I would get frustrated or my body language would be not what, you know, not, 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 not appropriate really for what, you know, I should have been doing. And, and you think back to that at the same time, you know, I, I always apologize to him, you know, Lou, it's, it's a good question. I said, son, you're in the car. I got to, I'm just not that dad that's going to pat you on the back and say, good going when I know you're much better than you did today. Or, you know, good going, you just you, you had a horrible day. I'm just, you know, I'm not that dad. I don't know how else to tell you that. And that comes from having played pro sports. So I think there's a mix. I've done, I've tried to do, um, you know, I, I can still, I don't have to push him anymore. I don't really, I never pushed him. I always, if he wanted to play or practice. So that's one thing, that, you know, it's not my desire that he plays golf. It's his number one desire that's sort of taken off. Uh, he's taken it off. And, and COVID really helped him because it was a sport that they, um, you know, a year and a half ago, it was Florida opened up pretty quickly, and, and, and there was places you could play, and there was no other sports. And I was doing a spring hockey program at the time, and I haven't been on the ice since March 19th last year, so uh, 2020. So, to, you know, and he was 13, now he's 15. So it's really evolved to where, um, you know, I'm going to brag now on the last two Mondays, he uh, he was tied for low districts in high school as a sophomore here in Palm Beach County, and then last week. Last Monday, they, they uh, his, him and his team, he tied for fifth in regionals, and now he's going to states as a sophomore next weekend. We're going up to north of Orlando. So he's, he's really gotten to where he, he can play some pretty high-level golf and, you know, how hard he works at it. And the, the key, but the thing about golf is, you know, I keep teaching, try to get him is the etiquette part of it. You know, you, if you're that kid that's always throwing a club on the ground or dropping, you know, throwing your ball at your bag, you know, nobody's going to want to play with you. And, you're, you know, that, that kind of stuff, I'll, you know, I did it. I, we all did it when we practiced to break clubs and 15, 16 years old and throw stuff off. But then you, you kind of realize that you can't act like that. And so he's gotten a lot better at that. So that's basically all I do. As far as teaching him, I don't um, – there's three things I always believe in golf. You know, you got to have a good grip. you got to have good good alignment. And you got to have good ball position. And, and everything else is, he's going to grow into. And But he's got a great swing and pretty powerful. So – um, we're going to work. I'm going to work a lot with them this week. I'm lucky enough that I've been inside the ropes with some pretty good players, and I do have a little bit of knowledge on how to play. And uh, you know, at some point, and I, and I send this. Actually, I'm lucky that I know a lot of golfers. Like I can send this swing to, you know, Billy Harmon, who's you know Claude Harmon, Butch, Butch Harmon's brother. He's a friend of mine, and uh, Justin Thomas's dad. I can send it to him and just say, Hey, what do you see? What do you think? So it's been, uh, you know, I, I lean on other people. I'm not afraid to ask, but you know, it's uh, it's been a it's been a um, you know, I don't know that I've been that perfect dad, but it's been I'm, try, I'm trying my hardest. Let's put it that way. We've been talking to Dan Quinn, uh, Dan, uh, former player with the with the Flames and the Penguins, and uh, celebrity golf uh, legend. Uh, I don't know if they have a celebrity golf Hall of Fame, but you'd sure, certainly be in it, uh, Dan. And of course, your uh, fascinating career as a caddy on the PGA Tour. This has been a distinct pleasure for us. I have found this fascinating, Dan. I wish we had more time. We'll pick up the conversation at another 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 day, another another chapter, another time. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate this. My pleasure. Anytime. You guys, I'll, I'll jump back on. Just give me a shout. Thanks so much. Dan Quinn. Uh, got a few minutes left in the show. It's time for our second and last break, and we'll be right back to wrap it up. It was a rainy day in Pizzaville when we realised that our extra-large pizza is two whole inches longer than the so-called extra-large from the big pizza conglomerates. How do they even call theirs extra-large when Pizzaville gives you 18 whopping inches, steaming hot? Because, let's be honest, who wouldn't want two more inches? Pizzaville Stone-Baked Pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian.
Here's to every boy who thought his Bobby Orr rookie card sounded great in the spokes of his bicycle. His only served to make yours in mint condition more valuable. And now it's payday. Mint Inc. Trading Cards and Sports Merchandise wants to buy your vintage collection of hockey, baseball, basketball, football, and soccer heroes. Now's the time to cash in while the hobby reaches new heights. If you got them, we need them. Mint Inc. Trading Cards and Sports Merchandise. Visit our store online at mintink.ca. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. You won't remember that Real Space Media was once Real Tours Media. What you'll never forget is how they helped you, the real estate agent, sell homes. Or you, the business owner, show off your four walls. Real Space Media has made a name for itself, creating virtual tours and walkthrough floor plans using 3D technology that's light years ahead. In the age of COVID, what better way to see a space safely than through the digital lens of, what were they called again? Realspacemedia.ca. Got a space to showcase? Check out Real Space. Last minute of play in the game. Unlike sports, the outcome of palliative care isn't determined in the dying seconds. Physically, socially, and spiritually, palliative care is giving someone the best quality of life for however long life remains, while supporting their loved ones. All services are free of charge with partial government funding. The need for palliative care is great. Making an impact is the newly opened Hospice Vaughn Mario and Nick Cortellucci Hospice Palliative Care Center of Excellence. A truly amazing 10-bed residence. The first palliative care hub in Vaughn. If you share the belief that everyone deserves to live until they die, get involved. Volunteer your time or donate to hospicevaughn.com. We are for community, by community. And together, we are here to serve. From face-offs to playoffs, field goals to own goals, you're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live on AM740, FM 96.7 in Toronto and live streaming www.zoomerradio.ca. Naz, we found uh, the bad news yesterday that uh, Angelo Mosca had passed away. And you know what? As soon as I saw that on my uh, on my phone, it just brought back memories of, of so many different things we had uh, we had angela mosca of course a legend in the cfl uh, uh his greatest years with the hamilton tie cats the big bad cats from the from the mid 60s they were they were they were a good but a tough team uh angelo was a tough guy there he's had a great career as a professional wrestler king kong mosca and i think his famous line was nez was it come and tell me to my face uh, was, yeah, was that come was, to my face, yeah. that was angelo mosca I, I, i'll let you do the uh the impersonation as you're way better than i am uh but angelo was kind he was kind to us early in our days on on the air uh, we had just started out. This was back in 2014. Uh, we were just, uh, you know, trying to trying to get the word out. Our our show was. We wanted always to talk about the legends. We couldn't think of anybody better to talk to than Angela Mosca. And he, uh, 
guess when we were young, and I wouldn't say young, but when the show was young and struggling, uh, he made time for us. I think we had him on for a good half an hour. He uh, he was jovial. He was a gentleman. He was nice to us, and uh, left he left an indelible memory, both as a as a football player. We got an opportunity to chat with him about so many things back in 2014. He made time for us. And all I can say, I'll turn it over to you, Naz, but Angelo, thank you for the time you made for us. Thank you for your career, and may you rest in peace. Angelo Mosca. Uh, yeah, Naz, was, and then do really your thoughts. Well, he's really good. He's very cooperative, and uh, he didn't want to come off the air that, that day. Mosca wanted to stay on the air, but he, he was really good. Really good. Yeah, and we had fun with him. We talked about his whole career. Of Argo fans, for sure. Yeah, no question. So, uh, I'm sure you got an opportunity to see uh, Angelo play. You're part of uh, our generation. Saw him with the Thai Cats. Saw him in the professional wrestling. He was uh, he was certainly a professional wrestling star. And uh, some great commercials. You can come and tell me to my face uh, your 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 final thoughts, uh, Lou, on Angelo Mosca. Well, I, I remember going to uh, Maple Leaf Gardens with my dad uh, to watch Angelo wrestle with with all the uh, the Italian greats uh, back then. Uh, but I think the most thing that will stand out in in, in my lifetime uh, wasn't it him that almost uh, in a uh, I'm not sure if it was a sitcom or something happened on stage that he wanted to challenge somebody with his. Cane? I was Joe Cap, and we we actually got a and it was unfortunate. It was an unfortunate incident. I think both. Joe Cap and Angela Mosca, they both apologized about it. It went back to an incident in, a, in the 1963 game, uh, great cup game between the Ticats and the uh, and the BC Lions, where Angelo took out Willie Fleming, who was the star running back for the BC Lions at the time, took him out, and he was always reputed to be a, a dirty play. And they, they sort of got into it at a fundraising event back in I can't remember, but Angelo was uh, by this time. Nas, correct me if I'm wrong. He was already in a wheelchair, and they they started going at it. And I think Angelo swung his cane at Joe Cap. But having said that, um, I mean that's the competitiveness of athletes. Sometimes they don't uh, they don't leave it behind. But they uh, they 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 apologized to each other afterwards, I believe, and they also apologized to the people in attendance. I think that's what you're referring to, Luke. Yeah, you know what? It, it, it was funny at the time, but Angelo was the type of guy that he was—he was always serious about things. He was a very, very uh, hard competitor, and everything he he did, uh, he tried to do at uh, at the at a hundred percent. Well, him and Joe Cap were the ultimate CFL competitors. So um, you know, they 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 left it all out on the field, and uh, I don't know if they bore. I don't know. If, Joe Cap or grudge afterwards, but it was an unfortunate incident for both of them. And I, you know, and that's, I'm certainly not going to remember Angelo Mosca for that. And I don't think I'm going to remember no, 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 for that either. Yeah, no question. We, uh, once again, Angelo, uh, rest in peace. Thank you for what you did for the Naz and Wally Sports Hour in our early days. And uh, to all his family, we wish you, uh, we wish you our condolences. Naz, we've got a minute left. Bills and Jags today. It's an important game for the Bills because uh, you want home field advantage. 20 seconds or less, Ness. Oh, they'll, they'll kill Jacksonville. Jacksonville's uh, in disarray all over the place. They're not a very good football team, and the Bills should wallop them today. Well, we certainly hope so. Uh, anyways, uh, it's Remembrance Day this week. It's the 11th, On the 11th hour of the 11th day is the 11th month. 
please support our veterans. Show uh, show them that we support them. Uh, buy a poppy and wear it proudly. We'll be back again next Sunday morning. Have a fantastic and safe week. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.